And turn, please, in your Bibles to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, we're asking timeless questions from the psalmist, beginning with verse 1, and this is the Word of God. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God's merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return on my soul to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you to use the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that as we come to your word, that we have the help of your Holy Spirit to take your truth, first spoken 3,000 years ago, but, Father, uh, as timeless uh, and, and as important as application day as it was then. So, Father, as we ask this question, what do we render to you for all of your benefits to us? Father, help us to answer that with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's perhaps one of those things in my life that I did not really appreciate at the time. Uh, maybe it's only when you get a Lord that some of these things uh, make you do that. What I'm talking about is what was called testimony time. It was that time in the Sunday evening service every week um, that was always part of the worship service when I was a, a boy growing up. Now, what's that? It's when people would stand up and in the service and just share something that God is doing or something that God had done in their lives. It might have to do with sickness. Uh, it might simply be a very old man like Gladys Reed, who seldom said anything, rising from his seat there on the back row uh, and simply saying, I thank the Lord for saving me. I mean, that was it. That's what he said nearly every Sunday night. To a visitor, that might seem a, a bit tame, um, unless you know that Gladys Reed was once the bad, bad Leroy Brown of the west side of Charleston. Uh, an angry, abusive uh, alcoholic who walked away from every fight a winner. But when God dramatically and uh, instantaneously changed him, Mr. Reed was forever grateful in a very quiet and a very gentle way. You see, God loves it when we give him the glory uh, for something he's done for us. Don't usually quote Doug Wilson, but as he puts it, God is not this way because of some kind of megalomania, but rather because he loves 
what it does to his people when they see, know, and taste his goodness. One of the things we need to get better at is the practice of boasting the Lord, bragging on him when he answers our prayers. In a sense, that's what we do when we worship. Our boast is in the Lord. We, we, we boasted about his benefits in the call to worship today. We boasted about him in the Heidelberg Catechism. We boasted about the Lord in the hymns that we sang. We boasted that God's the source of everything when we gave our offerings. We boasted about his care for us when we prayed. What we have before us this morning is just such a testimony. It's a boasting about God. It's a very personal outpouring of a grateful heart. Now, why do I call it personal? Well, in my translation, if I counted right, uh, the word I shows up 19 times, uh, my 11 times, and me 5 times. What happens is that the writer uh, knew in his head, uh, he knew his head by theory, but now he knows by heart. He's come to know deeply the benefits of relationship with God. He's not just heard about those benefits. He's just not talked about them. He's not just thought about them. He's experienced them firsthand through some great crisis in his life. His experience prompted him to ask, What shall I render the Lord for all his benefits to me? And that's our question today. It really turns into two questions for us. First, what are all these benefits that he's talking about? And then second, what do we respond? How do we respond to the Lord for those benefits? So to to answer this timeless question, let's go to the text. We see in verse 1 and 2 the the very first benefit. It's, It's a sense of resolve and purpose that he has. And that is, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The psalmist's resolve is really, I love. That's how it ends. Now, the implication of that, by the context, we always take it as it's clear that he means he loves Yahweh, he loves the Lord. It's a present tense noun that today would certainly make him stand out in a world around him. He exhibits this resolve to love God. And we're told here particularly why in this case. It's because God has demonstrated his love for the psalmist with a track record of open, of answered prayer. Uh, he, he's, uh, God's heard him, God hears him now, and God will hear him in the future. Uh, how can the psalmist know that? Well, the Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren said it's because uh, God never changes. All right? He never changes. So what we've seen from God in the past becomes a guarantee for us of how God will act in the future. It becomes a revelation for us of how God will act in the future. Friends, we talk about it a lot, but I suspect we all need to let it sink in just a little deeper that we will pray more. Here the picture is God leaning over and, and, and listening. And the psalmist is declaring this is to continue for as long as he lives. I said a couple weeks ago, I have no expectation I'll be able to speak with whoever is the President of the United States. Probably neither will you. But we can speak to the Creator and the King of the universe at any time, at any place, and know 
that he hears us when we pray. The second benefit I want to look at is, is God's presence in a difficult situation. We see that in the revelation that's unfolded for us beginning in verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. The situation sounds serious, desperate. Now, what was it? If you look at verse 3, verse 10, you think, well, it's probably some kind of an illness. You look at verse 11, looks like it was some sort of intense human opposition that the psalmist faced. We're never explicitly told, and, and probably that's good. That makes the psalm more relatable to all of us. So whatever that situation, whatever that distress is, the psalmist personifies death as reaching up to grab, to take hold. That's language that's borrowed from the 18th Psalm. And it's intense, suffering, distress, anguish. So what did the psalmist do? Then I called on the name of the Lord. Uh, he defaulted to prayer. He called on the name of God as his refuge. Remember, God's name reveals what he's like. And the story of Abraham and Sarah lived by faith. You remember when Hagar was out in the desert by herself, and she discovered that God's the God who sees and gave him that name. When Abraham was up on Mount Moriah with Isaac, he learned God's the God who provides. He gave him that name. Abraham knew him as El Shaddai, the Almighty God. And so when the psalmist sees the situation, he turns to God's name as his one who cares for him. And he utters this desperate plea. You notice it's not a long prayer, but it's clear. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. When we're in a fix, folks, we don't need long, eloquent prayers. Now, why is God so faithful to answer our prayers? Well, verse 5 unfolds that benefit for us. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Now, we have three great characteristics or attributes about God that, that are huge benefits for us. God's gracious. God gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us salvation, eternal life, his eternal love. And it's to wretched sinners who deserve nothing but his wrath and anger. Uh, he's righteous. He always acts in total consistency with all those attributes. He always has. He always will. Uh, he's always wise. Always loving. Always kind, always compassionate towards his people. And he's merciful to us. God does not give us what we deserve. That's what mercy is. He doesn't give us the punishment we deserve for our sins. How does that, how does he do that and stay righteous? Because Jesus takes that punishment for us. Friends, that's mercy. And he gives us his righteousness. That's grace, his perfection to stand before a holy God. You know, we could just stop here and ponder mercy and grace for, for hours and hours. But if we did, we wouldn't get to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. All right? Now, keep in mind who the simple are. 
In the book of Proverbs, Derek Kidner calls them the gullible, feckless people who roam the pages of Proverbs, drifting into trouble. Now here's the psalmist takes that idea, and, he, and he's surprised, he says, he's going to say, that that's me. Whatever he's gone through has humbled him greatly. And he realizes his weakness, his dependence. And he says what? The Lord preserves the simple. I find that very encouraging, folks. I don't know about you. Um, uh, and how does the psalmist know that? Because he says, when I was brought low, he saved me. You know, it's a, a humble statement for the psalmist to identify with the simple. And it's humble for God to have time for the simple. The mercy, to be merciful and gracious to the simple, to preserve the simple who are just so often wandering in the wrong direction. You know, we live in a world that's increasingly complicated. The physical tools for church ministry, increasingly complicated. When I got started, there were no computers. There weren't any copy machines. There weren't even whiteboards, all right? You know, you get the idea. I still have in my office the, the, the supplies I keep for emergencies. And within that emergency supply box is a box of chalk, Okay, um, and I know children draw on sidewalks with chalk, and others four, but you know it's not so long ago. Chalk was an indispensable item for ministry in the church. But watch, the Lord preserves the simple. He saved me. Jonah proclaimed salvation is of the Lord. It's His gift to us. It's His grace for us. And then the psalmist finds another, other word pictures for us to celebrate God's salvation for him. Look at verse 7. Another great verse. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. We find rest in God. We can cease our struggle, and we can rest in Jesus and all that he's done for us. The Lord has uh, had dealt bountifully with us. So rest. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot earn God's approval. We cannot lose God's approval. We cannot lose salvation. It's all a gift. It's mercy. It's grace. We rest in what Christ has done for us at the cross. Let me just say that one of the problems of our world today is that we get no rest. We hear news from around the world 24 hours a day, plugged into our phones or tablets 24 hours a day. We keep up with other people's lives or we read about controversies uh, or perhaps we feel like our lives are, are born in comparison to others or that somehow you know, we're not measuring up with our peers the pace so many people keep is just exhausting. Children don't have time to play outdoors. And Psalm 46 famously says what? Be still and know that I'm God. It literally says cease, desist, just stop it. Stop our activities. Be still. And know 
know that I'm God. Uh, Rest. Quit worrying about COVID. Quit debating about vaccines. Turn off your Fox or CNN. Put aside your phone for a day and with it, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram. Quit trying to perform for the rest of the world to see what a good Christian you are. And rest in Christ's walk for us. Read God's word so that we hear God speak and know that he's God. On Wednesday night, our Bible study was looking at Gideon. And we've come to the point where God's taken Gideon's 32,000-man army that he's recruited. And God's cut it down to size, to 300. Gideon has no struggles with fear. So God says to him, I tell you what, I want you to sneak down to the midnight camp and listen. And if you're fearful about doing that, take your friend with you, your servant, and, uh, and, and listen. Uh, and you're going to overhear a conversation that will encourage you to attack the Midianites. So Gideon does take his servant, no surprise, and they sneak down, and they see that the, the Midianite army is so massive, and it's so well equipped, uh, and he's about to take it on with 300 men. And he overhears a Midianite soldier describe his dream to a fellow soldier. And the fellow soldier responds and says, you're dreaming about Gideon. And, and you're dreaming that Gideon is going to destroy Midian. Now, do you realize what that's telling us? God's got this. Whatever your stress is, he controls even the dreams of pagan individuals around the world. He's got the global conflict with Afghanistan and with China and our southern border. He's got COVID. He's got our financial problems, our health, our conflicts, our pain, our job stress. He's got it. Rest. Take a deep breath. The Lord has dealt bountifully with us. See, that's why we know verse 8 is true. For you've delivered my soul from death, my, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And he's given us eternity with him. We deserve eternal death, but in his grace and mercy, he gives us eternal life. He binds up the brokenhearted. He guides our paths. As we hold the hand of a toddler, or maybe of one with much life experience, to keep them from falling. God holds us. As a result, the psalmist is a a true son of Abraham. What do we mean? Verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Remember God's charge to Abraham? Walk before me and be blameless. We will walk before the Lord. He's watching over us. That's the psalmist's hope. That's his declaration. That's his desire. And notice the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a walk. It's a walk day by day by day. So when we do that, look at verse 10. I believed, even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. Now what he's saying there really is, I believed, help my unbelief. I had faith, even when I was greatly afflicted, and I might not have sounded like it. 
Makes us think he was probably facing sickness, maybe even death. He believed, but he was struggling. And he also believed when every person around him was disappointing him and not telling the truth. In fact, he was so frustrated, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. There's a lot of frustration of that hyperbole. But don't we feel like that some days? The media, social media, politicians, advertisements, in a world where feelings are the basis of people's so-called truth and set of facts, it's easy to get frustrated. By contrast, and implied but not said is, I believed. What are you saying? I believe. I believe there's such a thing as truth, and it's God's truth, so I believe. Even when I'm in pain, I believe God's truth. Even when it seems like the rest of the world does not, I believe God's truth. I have the benefit of knowing that there is truth, that it's God's truth, and that Jesus himself is the truth. Given all the benefits that our gracious, merciful God's poured out on us, the psalmist in verse 12 pivots to ask the question, what shall I render for all the benefits to me? Let's look at the response. Begins in verse 12. All right. Because we want to see how to respond to the benefits. What do we render? What do we give to God? And perhaps the first priority is just how the psalm opened. I love the Lord. John's later going to give us light on that. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Having the benefit of God's love, we love him. Then he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Three specific responses there. First, this lifting the cup, it really means just to pick it up. Why is he picking it up? He's going to drink it. All right? He's going to drink the salvation, the blessing. It's the blessing of God's deliverance for whatever crisis he was in. It's a gift of grace. It's cool water in a dry and thirsty land. It's given to us freely to drink of. It's not a stretch to think here of the blood of Christ poured out for our sins. Indeed, this psalm was probably sung by Jesus' and the disciples in the upper room just before the cross. But you notice something. This first response to God is not to give God to anything. The first response is to receive. God does not need anything for us. Paul will later write, who's ever given to God that God should repay him? Nor our God, he's a God of grace and mercy. And God does all the giving, all of it. And our response is grounded in receiving, humbly accepting all the benefits that God gives us. Second, we pray, we, we call the name of the Lord. Having received God's benefits, having prayed and been delivered, what's he saying? Keep on praying. Keep on communicating with God. In reality, keep on asking for more. And third, I'll pay my vows. And we don't know what these were, but presumably they were made during his distress. Uh, it's probably a sacrifice of some type. And, and you know the kind of thing we might say, you know, God, if you see me through this, then I will fill in the blank. I'll do this. Uh, I would hazard at least that this vow included walking before the Lord in the land of the living, that it's a sacrifice here, that even when he's suffering, the world is going astray. To be honest, it's hard to walk in a world where there's so much to fear, as, as Dee so wonderfully described last week. We need God's help to walk before the Lord. 
knowing he's watching over us, knowing he's guiding our steps. What you notice where this boasting takes place, it's in the presence of all his people. It's in the presence of others. This is a call to, to corporate worship. Our response to God is best seen with the people of God. It's giving public testimony to what God's done for us. You know, the uniqueness of corporate worship is pointed to here. That something happens uniquely as the people of God come together when we get together. And corporately, the Holy Spirit is present. And together we drink that cup of salvation, that deliverance, week by week by week. And we share what God's doing in our lives. We can also respond with confidence about the end of our pilgrimage on earth. Notice what he says. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. For each of us, the day will come when our pilgrimage will end in death. Now, as believers, death is not a tragedy. Rather, God views our death as precious because he's taken us home to be with him forever. And that's what we were made for. That's why even in our grief, when God takes those we love and they're believers, we know where they are. They're with God. We do not need to fear death. And then the psalmist responds with an affirmation that seems almost like a paradox. Verse 16. O Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. Do you see the paradox there? That's what the choir sang about. I'm the Lord's servant, but what? You've set me free. See, in serving the Lord, there's true freedom. Uh, remember Psalm 2, the desire of the nations was to, to throw off God's bonds. To think that in that rebellion, there was freedom. But ironically, the restraints come off as we become his servants. And within the life of the church, we're called to see ourselves as servants. As Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. It's only when we serve that we're truly free and most like Jesus. Such servanthood is learned within the context of the body of Christ. As we serve the body, we're serving Christ, and we're learning there to serve the world. You know, the announcements in the bulletin are usually full of opportunities to serve, and this week's no, no different. If you're struggling with finding a way to serve in the church, we can help you with that. If you want to serve children, check Mike Owens. Want to serve youth or youth parents, check with Travis Brown or Sarah Tilly. Serve by fixing up some aspect of the building, and check with Matt Hall or any of the deacons. Serve women, there's a whole team on the back you can check with. Uh, get involved in the community, you want to know how and you're unsure, we can help you get plugged in with foster care or with Eagle Ranch or Good News at Noon, so on. Maybe you want to help provide the technical assistance. Uh, Dennis Swinehart, John King can help you with that. There are so many ways, and, and we respond to all the benefits God's given us through service to others. And the psalmist reiterates just what he said. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Now, the first thing Gideon does in his story after he overheard that dream is, it says he worshipped. 
he worshipped. And the psalmist responds with worship, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The rest of that we've already talked about this morning. And that's why the psalmist ends with a summons for everybody to praise the Lord, to share his joy together. Yet notice, it's in the house of the Lord. It's in Jerusalem, the city of God. So what about us? Given all the benefits, what do we render back to the Lord? When we move from head knowledge of God to realize in our hearts all the Lord's benefits, we want to celebrate what God's done. We want to tell people what God's done. And though he's enthroned in the heavens above, he's intimately involved in all of our lives. So we should pray. That shows our continued dependence on God. We should resolve to walk and to rest in the Lord. We rest in him because of all our confidence in him. We walk before him because of obedience. Paul in Romans 12 describes the walk this way. Brothers, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the sacrifice of thanksgiving we offer. And our day-by-day worship individually leads to our worship with the people of God as we come together to give him thanks. Just remember, we enjoy all these benefits, and we're given the opportunity to give back to the Lord because he's reached out and loved us and shown us mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, forgiving us our sins and pouring out his love on us. So I would ask you, have you responded to his love by believing in Jesus as your Savior from your sins through his death on the cross? If not, you're not experiencing all the benefits God intends for us as human beings. See us after the service and we'll share with you how you can know for certain Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Gladys Reed was the most notorious sinner on the west side of Charleston. Gladys Reed became a trophy of God's grace. My prayer is that each of us here can boast in the Lord and say what Gladys Reed said nearly every Sunday, night of my life when I was growing up. One simple sentence repeated week after week after week. I thank the Lord for saving me. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for saving us. So Father, we contemplate your incredible benefits. Uh, Father, we, we thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace, your righteousness, answered prayer, delivering us from difficult situations. Lord, so much more. Father, we said as the service started, forget not all his benefits. So, Father, remind us of all the things you've done for us in Jesus Christ, we pray. Lord, somebody here that doesn't know those benefits, we pray that you will draw them close to Jesus today. Show them him as their Savior and Lord. And then, Father, guide us as we, Lord, respond to you, as we give back to you. Father, as we love you, as we receive your cup of salvation, 
Father, as we serve, as we hope. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.